Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if you're a guest with us, realize that you're kind of catching us at the end of the movie. And uh, the, the context there is we've been in this series called The Gospel According to Matthew since April of 2020. Uh, we're just coming out of that season and we're in the midst of that season, I suppose you could say, and it just felt like there was this desire to just ground ourselves in the person of Jesus. And for some of us, that's been really, really awesome. And others, you can't wait for us to start new series and we can respect either sides. But that's a, a 16-month journey. And up until this point, like our series were about a month long. So it's, it's been a deal. And there's 97 of you who read the Gospel of Matthew along the way. So thank you for those of you who were a part of that. Next week, we're going to do a vision weekend of sorts. We haven't done one since pre-COVID, and it just feels appropriate to do one. And then in September, September 11th, we're going to start a, a brand new series called Your Mental Game, Back to the Basics. And we just want to explore uh, the text and how does it speak into our current mental health crisis. Uh, we want to come alongside experts and professionals and doctors, and we're going to do that, do some Q&A and different stuff with them throughout the series. But we also just want to sit in the text and go like, okay, so we're not the first people with minds and hearts and emotions, and so how did people outside of our context think about these things in ways that'll complement what's happening on the contemporary level? Uh, C.S. Lewis, he's the first one that I know of, one of the greatest thinkers of the 20th century. Uh, one, of his, one of the things he begged people to do was read things written outside of your lifetime. Uh, because his suggestion was that the real wisdom and the real truth will emerge from things that aren't as circumstantially uh, tied. So that's part of what we're going to try to do. And we're going to kind of combine this style with that, our old style where we're going to do some long-form scripture stuff, but also very topical. So we're excited. This morning, we want to try to cap this off, and I hope I'm not trivializing it, but there's this way that I've been visualizing it myself for months uh, that I want to kind of bring you into. My hope is it doesn't come across as self-absorbed. That's not my intent, but rather to kind of put some, some arms and legs on this concept of what does it mean to be a disciple. And the way I want to do that is ask this question, when, when, when does a plant become a bonsai? It's a natural question. I know some of you fully expected to show up at church this morning and get a tutorial on when a plant or a tree becomes a bonsai tree. Some of you maybe don't know what a bonsai is or others your familiarity with it is just rudimentary. There's those things they sell at Target and you've bought a couple and they died within a couple months. It turned out there was hot glue in the soil and they hadn't been alive for years. Others of you maybe are like me. I, I, I grew up with Karate Kid and Mr. Miyagi. And while I never perfected catching flies with chopsticks, I, I remained intrigued by bonsai trees. And I can go all the way back into my late teens, uh, my last couple of years of high school, where I tried to grow and sustain them, but they just didn't work out. And more least recently, I've had a little bit of help. So I want to ask this question. When does a plant become a bonsai? Because it gets us to this other question of when does a human uh, become a disciple? So I brought some object lessons because it starts... I think, uh, just by asking the question, some, some questions. And the first one is, is this a bonsai? 
To some extent, you may or may not be qualified, but, but does there anything about, this, anything about this that strikes you as a bonsai? Yeah, me, me neither. Though there, there's aspects where I'm like, but I see about 10 of them in a few years, and I see my wife going like, oh. But, but it, it, it's not, I, I would agree. Uh, let me ask another question, or a similar plan. This one I stuck way back here, sorry for the awkward exit. Uh, is this, then, a bonsai? Let's see if I can flip it to the way that I... Uh, this was something I collected around Rimini on a friend's land. It's a Rocky Mountain juniper, I as I understand it. I think it's going to make it. I wasn't sure. Part of why I went and collected it is because I want to see if I can overwinter them successfully this winter. But is it a bonsai? I mean, there's only one. There's not a bunch. It's clearly older, probably older than we think. It's probably a couple decades old based upon where it was collected from and the condition that it had to grow in. It's got some shape. You might be able to see some promise. You can kind of turn it and go like, oh yeah, there's some things maybe, but is it a bonsai? I, I think by any measure, at best, it's a, it's a pre-bonsai. And after this winter, it might be a dead pre-bonsai. We'll see. I've got plans. So is this a bonsai? And you can begin to hopefully see how I'm trying to get our brain to think this thing through and really our hearts and souls, like, is it a bonsai? Because it has things those don't. First of all, it's in a bonsai pot or a shallow pot. That's important. It has wire. Uh, if you can get close, you can see that there's some aluminum wire. And actually, this one, there's this really neat tree on the Ascension Loop Trail that I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shape something in that direction. So it's got shape. It's also been pruned. And it's not that you have to have wire or prune a bonsai, but usually one of the two. Because part of what a bonsai is trying to do is is mimic something that happens gnarly in nature. Something that grows on a cliff, something that, it's it, it just something about the wind or the rock, something makes it do something gnarly and somehow it lives. Those of you familiar with our trails know there's an awesome example of this at the top of Eddie McClure where there's this rock and this tree that kind of broke and then it broke again. And now I'm guessing it's 150 years old. Is it a bonsai? Is this a bonsai? It, it has some evidence of someone who's doing something, and I, I, I'm reluctant to call myself an artist, but for the sake of illustration, clearly there's some external thing, some being, some artist, who, who is visualizing something for it and is pushing it in that direction. So is it a bonsai? I, I would actually argue it is, uh, though my... The people in Japan would laugh and ridicule for lots and lots of reasons. But if you'll just humor me and say, if this is a bonsai, then we've got another question. If that's a bonsai, then, then is this one a bonsai? Because clearly it's got age and time and wire, and it's, it has certain things going on that the other one doesn't. It's got a shallow pot, it's got wire, it's been pruned. I would argue it's a bonsai. Though, again, I get that it's in, in very humble ways. So, as we work towards this definition, next slide, let's just kind of point out a few things. On some level, a bonsai involves a shallow pot, it involves wiring or pruning or something like that, it involves intentionality, some kind of external intelligence that has intentions for it and is trying to take it somewhere. When does a plant become a bonsai? And when does a human become a disciple? Next slide. I was recently walking with a friend, or hanging out with a friend, rather, and we were just talking about life and circumstances, and he said something that, you know, every once in a while someone says something and it just grips you. I, I don't think it's a coincidence we were on trails. And he said, Adam, I, I think I'm starting to understand that marriage is more about making me holy 
than it is about making me happy. Now, let me just qualify that because I don't want to, to misrepresent anything, especially if someone speculates that it's them and that's their husband. He certainly, as best I can tell, is delightfully happy in his marriage. He wasn't saying that I'm miserable and here's how I stay alive in the midst of my misery. I also think that he, he would be the first to say that abuse is not a reason to stay in a marriage because it's making you holy, and nor is he in any way suggesting that there's never a time where a marriage ought to end. None of those things are true, so let's not be distracted by them. But then what is he saying? What was he saying? What stands out to me is, first and foremost, he's seeing his life through a, a Jesus narrative. And as I th- was listening to him, I actually immediately went to the bonsai thing because for a long time, I've been reflecting on how similar the, the art of a bonsai is to the art of a disciple. See, part of what stands out to me, and you're probably a step ahead of me, is, is there's a way of understanding what it means to be a Christian in, 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 in very, uh, what you might say, uh, like, absolute, immediate, what's the word I'm looking for? There's dynamic, static ways. Like there, there's, and this is mostly my tradition. It centers on conversion. It centers on those moments, that season, when a person made a decision. It oftentimes involves writing on a card or raising your hand, sometimes something like baptism. All things, if I'm being honest, I think are quite valuable. I'm, I'm proud of being a part of a, a conversion understanding that recognizes like no one comes out of the chute a follower of Jesus. You, you decide that. And in some ways, your, your parents decide that for you, but still there's a point where you have to decide whether or not you're living in that narrative. That's an honorable part of Christian tradition, I think. But what's, what's the work that my friend is doing? Well, he, I would argue, is, is really reflecting on things that Paul said. Things like putting, like clothing yourself with your salvation, working out your salvation. Jesus saying, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. I'll make you disciples. Whereas one kind of definition involves this like in, out, yes, no, disciple, not, Christian, not, believer, not believer. The other emphasizes the other side of that, doesn't it? The implication being that you work that out over time. And we see this. Some of you dribbled a basketball for the first time when you were three years old. And if someone were to ask you as a three-year-old, are you a basketball player, you would have said yes. And now you've become a basketball player. Some of you, you, you graduated college and you were an engineer or, or you got out of boot camp and you were a soldier, or you got out of grad school and, and suddenly you're a therapist. And there's this like, you became a therapist but over the last 10 years, like you, you've become a doctor. You've become a basketball player. We graduate high school and we're adults and we are adults. And yet we, we become adults. Like when, when does a plant become a bonsai? And when does a person become a disciple? And how do we understand that there is this process as well as this moment. I mean, clearly what Matthew's doing in in chapter 28 is is capping off the whole thing, his intention for the whole story. Here's Jesus, king of the world. You get to be his disciple. And yet, when does a person become a disciple? Which I think gets at the second question. Next slide. What's the role of time? This is what's kind of laying behind the surface, isn't it? Like we've talked about pots and we've talked about wiring and we've talked about pruning and we've talked about an artist, but how do we talk about time? Like what's the role of time in a plant 
becoming a bonsai. Couple more examples. Like this, is this a bonsai? I mean, what's hard to appreciate is it's, it's 10 years in the making. Is it a bonsai? And it is relative to uh, something else, but then, then what is this? Next slide. And you start seeing the contrast, don't you? Like there's this thing called Christian shame, and what is it? it isn't it when, when someone who made a decision a year ago likens their character and, and their, their obedience to the person who's been doing it for a few decades? Like which one's a bonsai? I'd argue they both are, and yet there's strong implications, or even this one. Actually had this on the stage with me last fall. Some of you might remember it. Spent the, the winter in our office refrigerator because I was seeing if I could overwinter it there. Is it a bonsai? I think so. It, it's a Japanese maple, which is literally like the 1957 Chevy, that with the Shimpaku juniper of bonsai trees. But is it? Well, if this is, then what is this, this next one? What, what, what if time does something... That, that can't be manipulated or, or rather avoided. And if time plays a role in making a, a, a tree a bonsai, what's the role of time in, in making a, a person a disciple? And how do we sit with that and appreciate it? Because the, the, I suppose the other corollary question is, does time guarantee that you become a better disciple? Does time guarantee that a plant becomes a bonsai? And of course the answer to both is no. In the Eastern Orthodox wedding liturgy, I've used this a little bit this summer. Uh, one of the things they do, although I haven't done this, is they put a crown on the bride and the groom. It looks something like this on this next slide. It takes on different forms, whether it's Russian Orthodoxy or Greek. But they put crowns on, on the bride and the groom. Why? Well, there's several layers to it, and there's some reflections offered, three of them that I that, as I understand it. The middle one is the, the, the priest talks about the, the crowns as the crowns of martyrdom. Why? Because what the priest speaks into the couple is as disciples, you're called to come and die. To be a disciple is to learn that love is willing the best of the other, and what the priest offers is that no other relationship in life, no other office, no other anything, is better used by God to form and make disciples than marriage. Now please, don't go the shame route, that's not, not my intention. But no other office is designed to teach people what it means uh, to live in this place of mutual submission, of self-surrender, of dying to self. It makes me think of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, uh, one of my favorite, and yes, one of the sections of scripture that I'm least adequate at living out. But listen to Paul in, in Philippians 2 in what seems to be kind of this high water mark of his thought. If then there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. 
but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think one of the challenging things for me in the preparation for this mental game series has been there's all these promises, these profound promises of peace and joy, these different promises that God gives people of of things that happen for them. You know, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. But what's messed with me within my own study of it is almost every one of them is given to people in the context of suffering. This, This cruciform theology When does a person become a disciple? One other question, but first let's look back at Matthew 28, because there's a word in there that I think it's uncomfortable, and I suspect it's not a cultural thing, but just a human thing, but listen to this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. When I studied this for myself months ago, one of the things I started doing was going back through the Gospel of Matthew and trying to identify every command that Jesus gave people. It's fairly lengthy, it's extraordinarily challenging, but it highlights this this thing called obey. One more question, what is the role of obedience in a plant becoming a bonsai? And could it be that, that obey is not always this, this ugly word? It, it's not always this intrusive word. It, it, it's not confining, but actually obedience leads to something more beautiful. Again, if you'll flatter me, uh, uh, what I'm about to show you is that I nerd out and, and I take more pictures of my bonsais than my kids. So in September of 2020, I bought this tree back in 2010. Like I said, I always liked bonsais. I didn't know what I was doing. I was kind of, at this point, I was just amused that I could get something to grow inside of a small pot. That was kind of the high water mark. As you can see, there's not much very aesthetically pleasing about it. I didn't really know what I was doing. But that's what it looked like in September of 2020. Then I started to learn more. I can't remember what transpired, but I started listening to podcasts and reading books again. I think it was because something about this kind of succulent version or species uh, of bonsai. I actually have this backwards. That's a bummer. Uh, part of what I learned was I, I learned that in Montana it's really hard to grow things like maples, uh, but I found species that I could, so I finally felt the energy to start studying it and understanding more about it. And so in September of 21, after again putting it outside, which was also new, it looked like this. And if you'd asked me in September of 21, I'd have been like, man, I'm, it's done. I'm proud. This is awesome. I just let the thing fill out. Then I continue to learn and continue to understand bonsai, and there's a couple things that I learned. One is pads and the other are bones. Go ahead to that next one. Pads refer to, and if you think about the classic Miyagi, similar to this one, the, the part of the aesthetic of a, of a bonsai and part of what separates it from houseplant is, is there's this clear distinction between every branch. Uh, those little kind of balls or, or just platforms of foliage, that, those are called pads. And as is the case in lots of art and music, uh, there's certain things that they understand scientifically makes things beautiful, and pads are one of them. The other are bones, and this one was even more new, but the bone refers to the trunk. And when you listen to these guys, what started to click for me in gals, was it's it's as simple as this. When you see a tree uh, that you find aesthetic beauty in, and some of you are like, I've never seen that. That's because you're not old yet, but it'll happen. 
Part of what makes an old tree beautiful, they would say, it's actually the trunk. Like the branches are kind of foreground and background to it's actually what, what makes something beautiful is this gnarly trunk. And the more gnarly and twisted and obscure and weird, that, that, that's actually what draws your eye in. And so there's this kind of balance of you want foliage, you want pads, but really what you're trying to do is accentuate the trunk. So the more I understood that, I was sitting on my patio early this summer and realized I had to start over. And so in June of 2022, this tree looked like this. Now, what I was trying to do there is also in trees, they often talk about, unless it's a fruit tree, what they call the single central leader. That part of what your eye is looking for is something they can follow from the top to the bottom. Uh, I've always thought of this as with Matthew 6.33 when Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. There's this like, what's the thing that's steady and secure? So part of what I did, and again, I'm not claiming that I'm any kind of expert in this, but you can see where part of what I started to do was while the bottom half had trunk, the top half had just become a bush. And so from within that, I started cutting and pruning and, and found a branch that 10 years from now, I think will function as this single central leader. The other thing that I did, and my wiring is horrible, but generally I don't show it to people, so I don't care because it's going to come off its temporary anyway. And there's this one guy from Minnesota that I like, and he supports that theory, is I started pulling and grabbing at branches to try to set up the pads. What's the role, next slide, of obedience in becoming a disciple? Because it kind of works like this, doesn't it? And I think for so many of us, this kind of explains the gift of the last two years culturally where we had all this stuff and all this growth and things going on, but isn't a big function of obedience a God who, who kind of starts hacking stuff off? There's this pruning and this focusing that happens. Sometimes it involves the removal of things that once had a really strong purpose or we loved or they brought beauty, but there's this like not settling for, for good enough and pushing things to an even better place. And I wonder, if as we reflect on like what makes a plant a bonsai, as we reflect on it, it involves an artist who takes it somewhere, who has intention, if part of the role of obedience is trusting a God who's, who's taking us somewhere, who's moving us somewhere, and while he doesn't organize and orchestrate every circumstance, part of by what makes him God is his ability to use every circumstance. Dallas Willard has this thing called the golden triangle. If you ask Dallas, how does a person get shaped into the image of Christ? And there's three things. Go ahead to that next slide. He says it's circumstances, which by implication are almost always outside of our control. It's spiritual practices, things that we intentionally do, especially things that we intentionally do to take on the mind of Christ, whether that's a, a community, some kind of a group, reading our Bible, prayer, the Anglican Rosary, whatever that is that you do. There's spiritual practices, and then there's the Holy Spirit, which is just the grace hovering over the chaotic waters. What's the role of time and obedience in the making of a disciple? Maybe one last reflection. Next slide. A couple years ago, at the premier bonsai exhibit in Japan, this tree literally sold for $350,000. Now that sounds crazy to us, but part of what you'd have to understand is, I don't know precisely, but just knowing the art a little bit, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna throw out a number. It wouldn't be unreasonable that this, this tree has already been trained by 10 different bonsai masters. 
like 10 different people who spent their entire adult life training and shaping succinctly, like 10. Part of what gives them their value is they're these long, hundreds of years old trees. Here would be, I guess, my reflection. What's the value of a person who goes the distance in allowing God to form and shape them into a little Christ? Like what's the value as we live in this moment that's debating the extent to which Christianity is even good? What's the value of a person going, okay, my single central leader is becoming like Christ. Am I married? Yep. Do I have kids? Yep. Do I have a career? Yep. Do I have hobbies? Yep. Am I, am, am, am I an aunt? Am I an uncle? Am I a friend? Am I whatever? Yes, yes, yes. But what's the value of a person who somehow keeps that single-minded focus of going, yeah, but above all of that, what I'm bringing to the world is the, is the permission to obey God and to allow God to mold and shape me into a little Christ one. Because my guess would be that every person in this room could point to a person who is a little Christ in their life, which is the source of inspiration for you in this one. I'd like to pray, and we're gonna give you a chance to take communion. God, thanks for this grand narrative uh, about a God who showed up in the world uh, to recapitulate humanity, to to start things over, to, to come live in us. And Lord, life pulls in so many different directions and offers so many different opportunities and distractions. God, I pray that we would somehow have the internal, emotional, psychological fortitude to cling to the fact that above everything else, who we are is your disciple. We're apprenticing under you. And more than anything else, uh, what we're doing is, is becoming like you. God, I pray that you would awaken us to those moments where we get to make decisions and welcome it, uh, that you'd bring us to a place of surrender when there's circumstances that bring it to us despite our best intentions, and God, we just, we're so desperate for your spirit to show up in ways that we don't deserve. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Narrate Church, find us online at narratechurch.org or look us up on Facebook or Instagram.